You are listening to the D-Bad Movement. This is the Don't Be a Dickhead podcast with me, John Gilbert. Me, Ian Thompson. And me, Alex King. We are going to be talking about friends. It was a friend's clap. Hey, that was a good touch. Thanks. From the TV show Friends. Yes. 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 Is it dickheadery for me to talk about the TV show Friends and point out that really they were terrible people and not very good friends to a Friends fan? Is that dickheadery? I mean, to a friend's fan, I guess. But it... you're only having a conversation with them. I think you're wrong. But I think you're wrong. Oh, you? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! I didn't know you were one of these as well. Are you a friend? A friend of friends? I like her. Uh... I love it. Yeah. I like it. I'm being entertained by it, but it's like a showcase of how not to be a friend or how Do not to be an acceptable human being. Well, it is when you really look at it. I know it's a bit cliched, but it's true. I mean, they were horrible to each other. So, like Chandler and Ross. When Joey would like have a bag or something and they'd just like ridicule him and just call him a woman and things like that. And it was just really just trying to bring him down. So my friend Jack, years ago, we all got a phone call off him. And this phone call was in like March time. And he said, um, right, for my birthday tonight, we're all meeting at whatever pub it was. We were all like, oh shit, is it Jack's birthday? None of us, not a single person knew. And we were all like, ah oh, crap, it's Jack's birthday. So we all like canceled anything we had on and went to Jack's birthday and it was really good fun. And one of our friends, Paul, turned up in a waistcoat. <laughs> and it's forever been known as waistcoat gate. <laughs> because as soon as he arrived, everyone asked if his mum had dressed him. Aww. He wore a waistcoat, I mean, for goodness sake, a waistcoat. <laughs> That's not the end of the story, however. So that's waistcoat gate, and that's similar to, like, the bag and things like that. However, then in the October after this, Jack rang round everyone and said, oh, it's my birthday next Saturday. And everyone's like, whoa, wait a minute. You had your birthday in March. And he was like, oh, right, yeah, I forgot about that. No, that wasn't my birthday. I just wanted a night out and thought if I said it was my birthday, it'd make everyone come out. And he thought it was hilarious and that the joke was on us until we pointed out not a single one of your friends knew even which half of the year your birthday was in, Jack. Aww. Not a single one. <laughs> I want to give Jack a hug. <laughs> well, so Jack's the good guy in, in your interpretation of this story. I just think they all, they all sound like arseholes, apart from the guy in the waistcoat, who just seems like the victim. <laughs> he wore a waistcoat, man. I mean, come on. He's not without blame. <laughs> Let him without waistcoat lay the first whatever. I don't know. Whatever the saying is. <laughs> well-known saying <laughs> well yeah but this idea that you just like mock your friends for doing anything that is like fashionably different is is that all right oh it's dickheadery isn't it yeah i mean i've done it before myself loads of times i remember going to school sporting a new coat which was always a frightening thing to do because you didn't know how the world was going to react and i hadn't even got into the school i was just going through the gate when people were jeering me from the windows above going Aah! Gilbert's got a new coat and what they found hilarious was it was the same coat as somebody else so therefore they assumed that I was just trying to be him Aww. I mean not really it just meant that our mums went to the same shit cheap ass market that sold cheap coats I'm sure it was a very nice coat 
Yeah. It wasn't. I mean, at least okay. it wasn't a, a waistcoat. It could have been a waistcoat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, but maybe then Friends is just a demonstration of what friendships are really like. Mm. So, like, when they start body shaming Monica because she used to be fat, uh, or sabotaging each other's relationships because it's just inconvenient for them. There is a fair bit of dickheadery now you point it out, but, I mean, it's still fun, isn't it? It's funny, yeah. I suppose if that friendship group is, like, a safe bubble where it's acceptable that we're going to wind each other up but still love each other at the end of it, then I suppose it's quite nice. Yeah. Well, that's it's what it is, It's just that it? fine line between banter and bullying. But I think there's more love and niceness between them than there is dickheadery, I Yeah. A nice balance. You're imagining groups of friends that are exclusively or largely made of girls and women. I think that friendship groups of men can just be just assholes to each other and then that's just expected. Yeah. yeah. When you say you want to punch, or you want to give Jack a hug, sorry... <laughs> I don't know why I said punch. When you say you want to give Jack a hug, another story about Jack, just talking about groups of lads who, you know, and yeah, I'm still very good friends with Jack. Ages ago, when Muse did their massive concerts at Wembley, I bought a couple of tickets. I bought them like six months in advance or whatever. And it was about 200 quid for the pair of tickets. And I was very excited about seeing Muse. And I sort of forgot about the concert until like the day before the concert or something like that. Then I remembered that I had these tickets. And I was like, great. But it was, I think it was right at the end of a month or something like that. Anyway, I, I had no money hardly. And I was like, I had a pair of tickets. I remembered I'd spoke to Jack about maybe going a few months before. And I rang Jack and I said, do you still want to go to Muse tomorrow at Wembley? And he was like, yeah, all right, yeah. I was like, great. I ain't got a whole load of money though, so will you pay the petrol? And you know, I've got your ticket. You don't have to pay for the ticket. Just uh, you pay the petrol down or whatever. And he was like, oh yeah, I don't really have the money to pay for the petrol. I was like, well, you don't have to pay for your ticket, so that's all right. And he's like, yeah, I don't really have the money to pay for the petrol then. So I was like, right. And I was thinking to myself, do you know what? I've sort of forgotten that I had these tickets and everything like that. I really didn't have the money and didn't want to be spending loads of money travelling down to London. So I just thought, I'm just not going to bother going. So then I just made a comment to Jack and said, all right, I might just give the tickets away then to anyone who might want them in London or whatever. And he was like, oh, right, let me see if my mate Matt wants them. So he rang his mate Matt, who evidently said, yes, he'll have the tickets. So I said, right, that's fine. He said, how much do you want for them? I said, nothing, you can just have them. I sort of paid for it ages ago. I've, the money's gone now. So I said, you can just have the tickets. So I gave them to Matt, who then paid for the petrol and took Jack down to the Muse. But Jack, <gasps> Jack basically <laughs> stole my Muse tickets <laughs> off me. Apparently it was a brilliant gig. Aww. I mean, I should have just bit the bullet and paid for the petrol, but to be honest, I just couldn't be bothered to drive down to London as well. But you should have gone with Matt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so we've jumped in with some controversy there, but that's what D-Bad's all about. One of the many things that we're all about. Not sure if that works grammatically. But Alex, what have our community been saying when it comes to friends? We've had quite a lot of comments around sort of drinking and nights out. So Alice Erdwire, the friend that always takes it too far on a night out and you have to sober up and babysit them. Uh, I'm, I'm probably guilty of being the friend that gets too drunk. I'll hold my hands up to that. But I never have to be babysat, I don't think. I kind of just wander off and do my own thing. Yeah. So my partner, Claire... She went to Butlins on one of these like 90s nights mm. and it was her and a few of our mates and they all live like dotted around the country. Been organising this for like a year because it was a couple of their birthdays around that time. So they said, let's to get together for a big birthday do at Butlins and go to 90s baby or whatever it might be called. And they all arrived at four o'clock in the afternoon. They all drove in from various places, all got there set themselves up like an ironing board buffet and drinks cabinet and then started having a drink and getting ready to go out. 
The night started at eight o'clock. At 7.45, they left the room to walk across to the main arena. And by 7.50, after the five minute walk across to the arena, their friend Noah was throwing up behind a massive rock and unable to stand. In the three hours and 50 minutes that she'd been there, she'd managed to get herself so drunk that she was, anyway, they refused to let her in. She could barely stand up. And Claire had to go back and she said they were both asleep on Noah's bed by half eight. You haven't seen your friends and you just get a bit giddy. Yeah. The dickheadery doesn't end there though. At half past one in the morning, Noah woke everyone up uh, because everyone had come back by this point. She woke everyone up and was like, right, I'm ready to go out. I've sobered up. (laughs) As stories go, I don't think much to Noah's Ark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've been guilty of that before, though. I once went to a warehouse project in Manchester and I'd got way too drunk during pre-drinks and I wasn't allowed in the actual place, so I had to... It was only one, I, I let all of my friends go in apart from one friend and we still went out anyway, but, yeah, I was probably a bit of a dickhead then because I was mad at all my friends for still going in, but it was my fault completely for getting too drunk. Oh, look at this, look, they've got someone recognising their own decadery live on Yeah. I know, it's happening, it's a breakthrough. It is. Is there a responsibility on the friends to care for this, though? Because Chris Hinders said a good caring friend would have a cut-off point when you were out drinking so you don't feel terrible the next day. But then that's putting too much responsibility on them, isn't it? Because then that's saying, like, you can't get too drunk because you've got to call out the cut-off point so yeah. that the person who does get too drunk doesn't get too drunk. Yeah. I mean, Chris Hind, I've been out with him when he has been too drunk before. And actually, this is some dickheadery. We only let go of him for a couple of seconds. That was it. We were, that was all it was. So we were in Benidorm in a stag do and got kicked out of watching a meatloaf tribute act. I have to say the kicking out wasn't aggressive. It was this, they came to me and said, is that guy with you? And I said, yeah, he said, he needs to go, mate. It looks like he's going to vomit any moment. So <laughs> he couldn't walk at this point. So Was the tribute so... act called Pete Love? <laughs> <laughs> I know there is a meatloaf tribute act called Pete Love. Presumably he's no, he was Peter. called Meatloaf, but with a double E. Oh, wow. And then yeah. his thing is, at the end of it, you can go and meet him. Brilliant. Ooh. I've met him loads of times. Brilliant. Anyway, so we were walking Chris out, and between the two of us, he was in the middle and he had his arms around us to walk him back to his hotel because he was incapable of walking. And I can't remember why we let go of him. It wasn't for very long, but within that two-second gap, he managed to just fall over onto the table of some unsuspecting family who were just sat there having a drink outside and just put <laughs> their drinks and table going flying oh, everywhere. No. It was very dramatic. And he, um, he scarred his face in the process. Oh, God. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we let him down in his hour of need, so sorry about that. You were taken aback by what a beautiful time this family were having to your side. <laughs> well, they were lovely about it. They didn't seem angry at all. They were just concerned for his welfare. Uh, well, I mean, as you would be. Yeah, it is. They weren't dickheads at all. No, not at all. They, they could have been in that situation. So do we think it's friends' responsibility then to make sure you don't get too drunk? No. I don't either. No. Obviously, if my friend was gone, I'd try and like sober up. Yeah, I think if someone's really drunk, then you sort of pick yeah. up and you help them. and. Yeah, and I don't think it's your responsibility to stop them getting drunk in the first place. No. Although when you think about it, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Because it's not your responsibility to stop it, the bad thing from happening, but when the bad thing happens, it is your responsibility. It's like climate change. It's a different responsibility then. It's a bit annoying, isn't it? Let's be honest. I've been the drunk and the supporter. Yeah, yeah I think I'm sure I have as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah, people yeah. do help. People, generally speaking, help you out. Yeah. I mean, I've also slept behind a skip... After getting too wow. drunk, my mates were like, oh, where's John? 
They were all just like concentrating on getting home safely. And weighing behind the skip they found. Nah, <laughs> uh, yeah, they might have done that. Had the opportunity arisen. <laughs> and that is the thing about the night out. So Jenny Harrison has said, friends who abandon you on a night out for their partner or someone they just met is mm. a big no-no. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm not going to out anyone, but I've got a few friends that, like, on nights out, they'll just leave you for, like, the boyfriends, and I don't like that. Unless the boyfriend wants to come and join you, that's good. Yeah. But when you, especially when you've been planning something for a while and it, you haven't seen each other in a while, and then an hour in, find out that they're at the boyfriends. Yeah. But what about if it's a single friend and they're, like, on the pull? Is that different? Well, that's very different. I think going off with your partner, right, if if that was always their intention and that's been agreed with your friends, then that's fine. But you can't do that if there's, like, two of you. Yeah. Because that's just weird. But going off with somebody that you've just met, again, that should be part of the agreement. Unless you're in a pair of you again, though, I still feel that that's kind of a little yeah. bit. Yeah, can you not just swap numbers and agree to go for, like, wine and crackers at some point? The other thing that seems to wound people up is the idea of drinking or not drinking. Because if you're not drinking, you become victim to two things. One is become the designated mm. driver that everybody expects a lift home from at the end of the night. Or you get the alternative reaction, which is to be accused of being boring because you're not drinking. Yeah. Which all that's going to do is make you really self-conscious, surely. I do. I don't mind being the designated driver. I mean, I'm not very often because I don't really drive, I don't own a car, and so I'm normally drunk. But if I'm not drunk and I am driving, I don't mind being the designated driver at all. That doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. But do people accuse you of being boring if you won't get drunk with I mean, I'm sure I've had it before. I've never been the designated driver because I just don't like the thought of not drinking. Maybe that's a problem I need to solve. Plus also your car, I mean, you know, even when people are sober and they're able to control their limbs, you're still going to only fit one and a half people in your car. <laughs> This is true. <laughs> Jenny Harrison has commented saying, friends that make you feel guilty for not being able to make a party because you have work commitments. That's very specific, isn't it? I feel like that's happened. Yeah. Or even friends that make you feel guilty at all if you've got other plans or... Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends what it is, doesn't it? Like, I know I've got annoyed with friends before because they've said, like, I can't do... Especially, do you know what? In lockdown, I've done it quite a bit where you've said to someone... Do you fancy Zooming tonight? Is this something? Oh, I can't tonight. Like, what, what, else, what else are you really doing? Like, you're not doing anything. I mean, I appreciate, like, now people have got into little routines where they do a quiz on a Tuesday and they do something else on a Wednesday. And... They might just not want to see you first, Ian. That, well, that is the other thing, yeah, yeah. For the benefit of the listeners, this is a little awkward because at the time of recording this, we were supposed to be having a Zoom meet-up Three tonight that organised, yeah. which we've had to postpone yeah. because Alex forgot and made, Sorry, and made other arrangements. Grandad Norman comes before everyone. <laughs> so that's, that's the rule, really. I mean, yes, yeah. it's Dick Hedery to cancel it unless it's a Grandad Norman appointment. That's fair enough. So untrustworthiness with friends, then. Obviously, I think everyone's had a friend like in the past or they might have a friend that they can't really trust fully. And that, that's not healthy, is it? So I have a story about this. Okay. Back in the days of MySpace, does everyone remember that? Oh, MySpace, yeah. Yeah. For, for a while, I decided to run a blog. And my blog was entitled Thompson's Tittle Tattle. Because on MySpace, <laughs> I only really had friends that were actually my proper friends. So I decided what I'd do is I'd do a gossip column about my friends. And anything that anyone told me gossip-wise, and I, I want to nominate this for Dick Hedry as well, uh, anything anyone told me gossip-wise would go in at the end of each week and I'd write a gossip column, like, you know, you'll never guess who 
was doing this or whatever. And yeah, I'd write a gossip column and, and out people on all the secrets that they told me, basically. So why was people still telling you secrets? Well, a lot of it was my friend who was going through like an early life crisis and I just basically told everyone everything he was getting up to. Because he used to regularly, he used to regularly ring me at like three or four in the morning, like telling me I've got myself into trouble You're again. just and sat with like a notepad. Yeah, I'm just sat like shorthanding it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so he used to tell me that, but it got to the point where no one would actually tell me anything anymore. So what I had to do is, whenever a load of us, or even me and one other person, went to the pub, whenever I went to the toilet, I would put my voice recorder on my phone and leave it face down on the table and just try and get clandestine oh tittle-tattle that then I could publish. I turned into a, I turned into an actual red top. Jeez. Is that Dick Hedery? Yes. Wow. Uh, it definitely is. And... I don't think you've appreciated the depth of dickheadery. I mean, that's beyond dickheadery, Ian. Also makes me a bit... Well, I mean, when you think about it, Alex, I mean, yeah. we, we have conversations with this man off air. <laughs> we wouldn't want to go onto MySpace or any other contemporary social media platform. And maybe this is all I just part played. of Ian's experiment. I feel played. I, I want to point out Thompson's tittle-tattle no longer exists. And, um, and I did... If there was something that I felt... I really can't tell anyone this, this is a genuine secret, then it wouldn't come out in Thompson's tittle-tattle. It'd always be stuff that I felt I could broadcast. Although I'd, I'd go right to the edge of that. I love that, though, when we do that as people. And I suppose we do that on the podcast as well. It's just like you're going right to the edge, which means you get to decide what the edge is. Yeah. And you're completely infallible in your assessment of where that line is. And I'll never cross the line because the line. I know exactly where the line should be. <laughs> and that's one of those things where I think I'm perfectly walking the line with humour and giving stuff away about people and a bit of banter until the next day when it pops back into <laughs> oh, your head and you go, yeah. oh my God, I really shouldn't have been joking about that. Uh, and, and it's just like, <laughs> was that smile real? Were they even smiling? <laughs> so do you think you're an untrustworthy friend then, Ian? Uh, no, I think when I produced Tittle Tattle, when I was the editor-in-chief of Tittle Tattle, <laughs> Then, then maybe I became slightly untrustworthy. Okay. Uh, but you know, I think I'm a better man for it. Yeah. I um, that was a previous career, and um, <laughs> plus I think really it was more because I couldn't I couldn't not use the name Thompson's Tittle Tattle. It kind of just worked too well. Yeah, it's a good name. Or it could be like Thompson's Tit and Tackle for bird watchers and fish and anglers. Yeah. You've got so many avenues that you could explore there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that in the bushes? Just a twitcher. It's one of those double-handed backwanks, or whatever the birds are called. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think trust is a foundation of friendship, isn't it? Once that's been, not once it's been broken, but if it can't be established, I mean, I've fallen out with people who've like stolen from me and, and, and things before. Or when you find out that somebody's been making merriment at something yeah. <laughs> and them confidence about Oh no, wait, that's what you did here. Well, having been on the receiving end of that, it's not very pleasant, is it? And particularly when you're younger and you confide in somebody on something and then they find out that others have told. But I've also been very guilty of that. And I think I've been guilty of sharing people's personal uh, stuff that's turned out not to be true. Gilbert's well. tittle-tattle. Well, I mean, I might have mentioned this before, but in many ways, the whole idea of Don't Be a Dickhead podcast is me trying to just cleanse my soul and try and get things off my plate that I've <laughs> been guilty of in the past. I'd like to think I would never do again, yeah. like spreading rumours. Yeah, the, the next point that someone's brought up um, is I quite like about bitterness when friends achieve or do something great. 
which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's a really interesting one. I think some friends don't want change and they want everybody to be in the box that they've, they wear for at the beginning of that friendship and everybody's got yeah. the role and everybody's always going to have the same level of interest, same level of intellect, same level of affluence. And if anybody changes, particularly if they go off and do something that deep down you'd like to do. With my friend, I've had the same friendship group for like, we've just always been friends. And when I sort of decided to go to Australia, there wasn't any sort of like horribleness or anything. It was just, I could feel that our relationship wasn't the same. And you know, like you'd, you'd like try and speak to them and it just wasn't the same. But it's like you said, John, discover like you've all got roles in the, in the group. It's very easy to make someone feel I didn't feel left out, but I kind of felt like they was mad at me for going away, I guess. But you've come back into that friendship group. That's it, yeah. I was probably just reading into it, because I was so far away, I probably felt left out, so I was trying to pinpoint things, but... Yeah, it's not that they dislike you for doing it, it's yeah. just that they probably miss you as well, so... Yeah. I remember, I mean, my best mate got really weird when I got into my first long-term relationship. And yes, absolutely, that I'd have been not doing the stuff that I was doing before and just being readily available. But that's what happens and that's what changes. But then just be like yeah. snidey about my partner mm. and just basically trying to break us up because they just wanted us to go back to what we were doing before. I mean, that is dickheadery. I also do see the other side of that, which is when somebody gets in a new mm. relationship and then suddenly you just don't see or hear from them anymore. I've also had somebody who was has been a friend for years, but the closest we've ever been mm. was when he needed me, when he'd been through a nasty breakup and was yeah. just round all the yeah. time. As soon as he fell in love again, don't see the guy. You're always, obviously, if you're in a relationship, you're going to be less available, aren't you, than if you were single. Like, for nights out and things, I guess. Even though yeah. I've never missed, I'm always up for a night out. <laughs> <laughs> but this might sound like an odd question. Is it dickheadery for your partner to be your best friend? It doesn't sound like it should be. I think that this is, certainly for, for men, is that it used to be that you'd marry a woman, uh, other gender relationships are available, I'm just going to, I'm just going to play it to a particular stereotype here. Um, so you'd marry with a woman and then you'd have blokes doing bloke things and so on. And actually, marriage really wasn't about falling in love at all. It was just about convenience for sharing mm. the workload around the house or the farm and to have kids, right? And if you liked each other, brilliant. Whereas now there is an expectation that not only will you find each other physically attractive, not only will you love each other, but you will have common interests and be best friends. And as a result of that, there's so much pressure, particularly on the female of a heterosexual relationship, to be all of those things. And the bloke can just end up being a bit... Because we're not as naturally sociable, I don't think, when we're in a relationship. I think when a man's single, he's much more sociable and seeing friends and so on. But when he doesn't have to, mm. he generally doesn't. Not everybody's going to agree with what I've just said. I understand that. But I think there's a lot of cases, and it worries me that, like, if Sally and I ever split up in the divorce, I mean, she's much more personable than I am, that all the friends are going to choose with her. When we were prepping for this episode, I was asking Claire, my partner, about Dick Edry with friends and things like that, and she said that when her and her ex-husband split up, one of her friends came round to her house and told her off for causing arguments in their house because she'd sided with Claire, he'd sided with her ex-husband, and it caused arguments. So Claire got told off for causing arguments in this separate house that was nothing even to do with that. She said was was odd. Well, that's dick, that's dickheadery. Like who they were going to support, basically. They felt like they could only support one person right, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the, the breakup. So they were arguing over who they would support. I've got that wrong before, where I've gone into this thinking, no, okay. we can 
we can stay with both sides of this. Yeah, you can. Yeah. You have to yeah. pick a side. Just Unless it's an amicable split. Yeah, and if you're still friends, I guess, and you're still happy yeah. to... Maybe you've only been involved with messy splits, John. <laughs> this is very true. When you talk about friendship groups, that's something that you have to do growing up, right from any age. And do you remember when it was really simple, where you were like a toddler, and you just toddle up to someone and go, <laughs> I'm a toddler, Aww. you're a toddler too, let's be friends. Why can't it be like that anymore? <laughs> when, well, when I used to take my friend's little girl to Big Fun, um, I used to pick her up from school, and before I took her home, because her mum and dad weren't back until a bit later, she'd always get really worried once we'd been there about half an hour, 45 minutes, because she knew we were leaving. And she was like, we can't leave until I've made a friend. And she, it was like that was her aim each week to make a friend. And she always thought that she'd see that friend each week. And her way of making friends is Aww. she'd just go around and just, like, stalk people and stare at them and, like, be near them in big fun. It was like a soft play centre. And then eventually she'd wander over and, hi, I'm Tilly, or whatever. And uh, anyway, but she was always too worried to do this herself, so used to make me do it with her. <laughs> um, so I'd have to wander around big fun, stalking four-year-olds with her. Um, and until eventually she went over and she's like, hi, I'm Tilly. And if they went, is that your dad? No, it's just my mate. And, uh, and then she, she'd just sort of point out. So, yeah, that was one of two really embarrassing things that happened to me in Big Fun. The other one was once when she was on the trampolines and the trampolines are like in big cages so that you don't fly off them. And I was outside the trampoline because both of us weren't allowed in at once. And she was jumping and she said, let's play a game. Let's pretend that I'm an animal in a zoo and you've caught me and you're just saying hello to me. But then all of a sudden I escape. And like I was like, all right, a bit weird, but okay then. So I'm like there pretending. And uh, then all of a sudden she bursts out the door and ran across Big Fun that's in this huge warehouse. So it's very echoey. Ran across Big Fun with me running after her and her going, no, please don't catch me and put me back in that cage. And there's, there's me just chasing the four-year-old across Big Fun. So, yeah. It's a story that I've got to save until she gets married yeah, or something. Yeah, you should. That's great. Oh, And then you have to, like, find different friendship groups. Yeah. And you, you get, when you get to big school, in secondary school, do you stick with your primary school mates or not? It's quite... Tricky. Yeah, so a lot of mine, I think I got new friends at secondary school, but there was also those friends from primary school, but crucially, who also lived near me, even if they went to other schools and I mm. still, you know. In primary school, yeah. it was just like me and my um, my friend Luke, yeah. mainly. It was just us two, like, yeah. we just thought we were real sassy and everything. Then we went into, obviously, secondary school, I met, like, my big group of friends that I've got now, but I'm still close to Luke. Yeah, I kind of regret ditching my friends now whenever I got into relationships, but, mm. you know, what can you do about it? I make new friends now, like all the old people that live down my street. Hey, that's weird, isn't it? Um, how you always tend to do more grown-up things, I think, with your new friends than you do with your old friends. Is that a thing? Maybe it's because you've all known each other from being younger, so you kind of you don't have any airs and graces. Yeah, I think with new friends, you need you need an activity for it to be based around. It's quite difficult just to make a friend for the sake of a friendship, I think, as an adult. Also, I kind of feel like, and I've got lots of friends now, I don't really need new ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, this, my heart's bleeding. My heart's bleeding for you and your many friends as much oh, as No, I'm not Alex saying I have loads of friends, I'm saying I've got enough. I like meeting new people, though. I feel like um, they've got stuff to teach me. Yeah. Although I also do like nostalgia. I mean, when I went on a school reunion a few months ago, it was brilliant. I, th I think I'd hate a school reunion. I don't think I'd be interested in anyone. Why? 
That came out badly. <laughs> so if you went Firstly, to school, then, and you interested in getting into it. Uh, don't, don't, disappointed. Not that's not what I meant. I just don't like small what talk. I think, I know what you mean, though. I, I can imagine it is quite hard work. It's the small talk. It's not that I'm not interested in, in people who I went to school with. I hope they're all doing very well. Generally speaking, why do we have groups of friends that are the same gender as each other? I know not always, but generally speaking. Uh, I think that comes in secondary school as well, doesn't it? Like, me and my friend Daniel, we always used to hang out with two friends, Catherine and Lisa. And then obviously when you go to secondary school, then started hanging around with more boys. Uh, and like, it's similar with Alex, like she was saying her and her best mate Luke, is it? Yeah. Alex, yeah. Uh, at primary school, but then obviously when you get to secondary school, then she got all her mates that she's got now that mm. I'm presuming are more girls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it is sort of a like when you're like nice and young and innocent at primary school and you don't really care, and so you just you just get together with someone who's funny and 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 that you're like hanging about with. Maybe that's something that's going to start not being a thing with. Cause I feel like it's a lot more like inclusive now. So what have we learned about dickheadery when it comes? Yeah, to don't friends? tell Ian anything. Yeah, it's just like, did that sound like a waiver agreement that my anonymity is now gone and the personal <laughs> details could appear on MySpace? I mean, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't worry if your personal details turn up on MySpace. No one's going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've learned that once again, alcohol mm -hmm. is a challenge when it comes to dickheadery. And if you if you don't drink enough, you're a dickhead. If you drink too much, you're a dickhead. Um, but if you drive, <laughs> then you're very, very convenient to, to have around. Um, and we've learned that basically we're gonna change, right? And just on that point, people change. And that doesn't mean that you that that's wrong. You can't control people. Let your friends flourish in whichever yeah. direction they want to be, but it don't mean that you're not still friends. And it doesn't mean you have to see each other all of the time. You can reconnect with somebody that you go months, maybe even years, without speaking to, but when you get back yeah. together with them, it's like it's that friendship had never ended, and that is magical. So if you've got somebody in your life that you want to reach out to, um, so long as it's not Ian Thompson, then the chances are that they might want to hear from you. He's not interested. But if it's Ian, he's got enough <laughs> friends, you missed your chance. You didn't make the cut. Ian's only made <laughs> two new friends in the past five years, and that's me and Alex. Yeah, you two are enough hard work. He doesn't really like us either. We're, yeah, but we forced him into a digital environment. <laughs> Tell us a story, old wise one. And if you enjoy Ian's stories, then please do like and subscribe to the D-Bad podcast, because there's plenty more where that came from. And when the, the stories run out, we'll have a new host. But in the meantime you can bond with him. So I've been John Gilbert. I've been Ian Thompson. I've been Alex King. And remember, don't, don't be a dickhead. dickhead.